Fall camp was an amazing weekend, and as goofy and as fun as it looked, I can tell you there was a ton of time that we spent getting to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So one of the things I do want to put out there, we do have another event coming up. If you've got a middle schooler or a high schooler this coming February, we will be having our annual Switch Conference. We'll keep you posted and get you more information as we move forward and get closer to February. With all that being said, we've been in the book of Ephesians the last few weeks, and today we are going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And so what I'd like for you guys to do, open up your Bibles, take out your phones, however you access God's Word, open up to Ephesians 2, verses 1, uh, 11 through 22. While we do that, I'll get you guys kind of up to speed on what we've been through these last few weeks. As we walk through chapter 1, Paul told us about the amazing and beautiful blessings that God has given us and kept for us in the heavenly places, how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working together in Trinitarian harmony to bring to salvation the very people of God. At the end of Ephesians 1, Paul prayed for the eyes of our hearts to be open to these truths. Last week, we talked about the vertical relationship, the separation that exists between God and man because of sin, and the beautiful, beautiful truth that even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God made us alive in Christ Jesus, and that we are saved by grace through faith in him alone. Guys, that's a chapter and a half. And now let's dive in to Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Behold the word of the true and living God. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create for himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you... Uh, are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As we break down this text today, we can see three main things. We see a problem, we see a solution, and we see the reason for that solution. Remember, as we are looking at this text, this is coming right off of Paul establishing how God has helped us clear that separation between us and him. That vertical relationship has been restored. Now, church, we're called to the table. Now we're going to look at how that horizontal relationship amongst people within the church needs to look. And at this time, church, the Gentiles and the Jews, man, they didn't get along. 
As a matter of fact, they hated each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ, both believers, people who came to God through Jesus, through the Son, hated each other. It's actually said that if a Jew saw a Gentile woman giving birth, that they said, don't help her. You're just bringing another dog into this world. That's intense. And these are people within the same church. And as we take a look at these first few verses, we need to remember that this is coming off of, once again, verses 8 through 10. We are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works in which he has predestined us to. That's what verse 10 talks about. And now he's saying, therefore, you, the Gentiles, the people who are not a part of Israel, y'all were alienated. Y'all were out there. Y'all were cast out. But you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You didn't have hope. You weren't a part of the promises. You weren't a part of the covenants. And the Jews were the ones here that we see called the circumcision in verse 11. You, the Gentiles, the people who were far off, you weren't a part of that group. You weren't set apart by God. The Jews originally were, but if you see here, there's a huge distinction. It said by the hands, by their hands, made in the flesh. See, Christ came to tear that down. It's no longer about the flesh. That word circumcision means being set apart, and now everybody is taking part in that circumcision because it is not a physical one but one of the heart. Check out what Colossians 2 verses 11 through 15 say. In him you were also circumcised. In Jesus you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's, this is the flip side. This isn't about what you were born as. This isn't about what, 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 what tribe you come from. This is about a circumcision of the heart being set apart in Christ Jesus. By putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which we just celebrated, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your sins and trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Go back. That sounds exactly like what we heard last week. God made you alive in Christ Jesus because you were dead in your sins and trespasses. This text is saying the exact same thing. And the reason why we are able to come to him and, and that God has made us alive together with Christ Jesus is because it is he, verse 14, who canceled our sin debt, set aside or stood standing against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. See, the Gentiles, the people outside of Israel are now brought in. The shedding of Jesus' blood knocks down all the walls that separated them. And this is how he did it. See, at that time, the barrier was political. It was ethnic. It was racial. There was all sorts of reasons that this church had issues. But if we take a look at what Christ did, if we take a look at how he stepped out of heaven and tore this wall down, it should blow your minds, church. Verse 13 says this. But now in Christ Jesus... You, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, the solution is the cross. The thing that tears down these walls is the cross. For he himself is our peace. That's a huge statement, church. That's re repetition. He himself has brought us peace. Why? Because we no longer stand to be condemned. 
because we are no longer in our sin, and there is no longer Jew and Gentile. There is only Christians and non-Christians. You are either in Christ or in sin. Man, he himself is our peace who has made us both one by breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This picture of a wall is something that the Gentiles knew very well. In the temple at that time, Gentiles could only go so far. There was a wall there that existed, and it said, if you are a Gentile, if you are from another nation, don't enter because we will kill you. They weren't worthy to worship God, according to the Jews. And now that Christ has come and knocked that wall down, there's hostility and there's anger. But by abolishing that law, verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create for himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and he might reconcile us both back to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, the solution to our disunity, the solution to our anger and hostility, the solution to the problem that they, were exist, that they, that they had in this church, it's the cross. The problem is there was separation. The solution is the cross. And I love what Hebrews 7.25 says. If you were at fall camp, I see a few fall camp shirts out there. We talked through this verse at the end of the first night. Jesus lives to make intercession for the uttermost, the people farthest away who come to God through him. That's why he's our peace. And it's awesome because it's almost like Paul and God and the Holy Spirit working through Paul. It's almost like they know what they're doing because he brings this up again in another verse that we all know so very well, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 21. Most of us know this text. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Our lives when we become Christians are no longer about us, but about others. We love and serve others the way Christ loved and served us. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul is dealing with the same issue here too. Doesn't matter whether you were born black, white, purple, green, red, whatever color you want to say. What matters is if you've been born again. And if you haven't been born again, that's where the line of distinction is. Now check this out, church. When I read through this as I was preparing, this blew my mind. It blew my mind. Check this out. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This is the part everybody knows, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Based off of what we just read, though, those physical distinctions no longer define us. It's not about who you are and where you were born. It's about if you've been born again. Now, if you've been born again, and I want you to check out what verse 18 here says. If you've been born again, you've been given something amazing. But it calls you to live on a completely different level than you have been. Verse 18 says this, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Now, that's a, that's a big, heavy phrase. You've been forgiven from your sin. Now you go and forgive others. What blows my mind is Paul takes a second to say, hey, in case you didn't get it, let me, let me tell you again in verse 19. Check out what verse 19 says. It's not the same text, I promise. Verse 19 says this, that is, just to make sure you get this, in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their sin against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, at this time, church, the church was fractured. It was divided. And yet they were supposed to go out into the world and preach this message of reconciliation, share the gospel with other people, all the while not being reconciled to one another. How is that possible? How does that work? And we see it today too. How many times do we hear that the Christian church is being called hypocrites because we're not living out God's truth the way that we're called to? Because we argue and we are divided over things that are not the gospel. It happens, church, all too often. And I love what he goes on to continue saying. Verse 20 says this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you, we beg you, guys, please be reconciled back to God. For his sake, or for our sake, God made him to be sin. He sent Jesus to take on the punishment for sin at the cross so that... In him, we might become the righteousness of God. If we are ambassadors for God, church, if we are called to be united, that's what he's telling the church here. If that church is called to be united, how are you going to do that if you are too busy bickering with each other? If you are too busy hating each other? My sermon point for you guys today is this. Our unity as believers is born out of our reconciliation to the Father through Christ. Our unity as believers has been born out of our recon reconciliation to the Father through Christ. Now, these last few verses in the book of Ephesians really hammer home this idea. Paul really walks through why this is so important. We are called to participate in the growing of the kingdom by showing the love that's been shown to us to others. And I'm not just talking about the world, church. I'm talking about the people within the building. And it happens. There's a lot of churches that are fractured and broken because of silly, silly stuff. We're going to get there in just a second. Verse 17 of Ephesians says this, And Jesus, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off. And he came and preached peace to those who were near. For through him, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile alike, now have access to the Father in one spirit. So then you, the Gentiles, that's us, church, so that we are no longer strangers and aliens. We are no longer alienated from the covenants and the promises and all the stuff that we were alienated from before. We're no longer them, but we are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. We are a part of the family now, church. And while you may have that crazy Theo or crazy cousin that you might not like here in the church, we got to handle that. 
And this is where we get it all wrong. See, if we look at how this plays out in our lives today, there's a ton of division within the church. I'll never forget, when I first started coming to Grace, there was a, a friend of mine, a brother, firmly believed this dude is a believer, who was here attending Grace Bible Church. And we have a mutual friend that we had both been talking to, and we're like, man, Grace has been so awesome for us. Grace has been great. And he started attending Grace. Me and my wife were praying for him. And this dude shows up to Grace one day, and this other friend of mine is here, and he goes, man, he's here? Huh? He had an issue with the fact that Grace Bible Church was, and I know that this is a scary-sounding thing, sharing the gospel with sinners, sharing the gospel with people with a past. And this dude had done it all. The guy who was coming to grace for the first time. Now what's amazing is through Christ, he is not only a new creation, but he is an amazing father to his kids. He is an amazing husband to his wife. And he is an active member serving the body of Christ and serving the world through grace. That's awesome. But on the other end of that, we have someone who's trying to divide. On top of that, I have another group of friends people who also attended Grace. I hadn't seen them in a minute. It had been a really long time, ever since COVID hit. Ran into them at a birthday party recently. I asked a simple question. Hey, guys, how have you been? What's been going on? Nah, man, we've been going to all these different churches, and all these different churches are a mess. People don't do this. People don't say that. People play songs by this group. They've got lights. I guess they're talking about us. They've got lights and audio visuals and all this other stuff. Man, there's a whole bunch of unbiblical stuff going down. And I asked him the question, have you gone to address that with any of the elders or pastors there? Well, no, we just left the church. How does that solve anything? How does that bring about unity? It doesn't. See, our pride and our arrogance cause us to go and divide more. And the thing is, some of y'all are sitting here going, man, that's not me. I love grace. I love what's going on here. Yeah, but there's other areas in our world where people divide. And you probably have disagreements with other brothers and sisters who are here. Division comes in so many forms. And in the case of the Jews and Gentiles, it was ethnic. But today it can be anything. It really can. And usually, like I said, our response is to leave and not address the issue. Because when we are divided as a church, this is where the world wins. This is where Satan, man, he's working. If there's division within the church, our worship is not only hindered, but the message of reconciliation that we've been entrusted with is hindered as well. I bring the question back to you, church. How can we as a church go about sharing a message of reconciliation if we haven't been reconciled to ourselves? It doesn't work. Jesus gives this warning long before Paul does. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 says this. So if you are offering a gift at the altar, if you are coming to God in worship, and remember that your brother has something against you. Now, this isn't like my brother who is another dude that my mom gave birth to. That's not the brother we're talking about, right? This is another member of the family of God. This is another believer. If your brother has an issue with you, don't offer your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled to him first. Go and be reconciled and then come and offer 
your gift. You see, the reason that we are called to be united as a church is a powerful one. It is powerful. John 17, Jesus says this in his high priestly prayer. This I don't have up on the screen, so just follow along with me. He's praying for the people who come to believe after he is gone, and he says, I want them to all be one, just as you, Father, and I are one, and I in you, that they, the believers, may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If we're not united, we're not helping the kingdom grow. Now, God is sovereign, and his will will be done, but let's be obedient in that, church. Verse 22 says this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, going back to unity. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Our pride and our arrogance get in the way of this. And there's this show on Netflix, my son loves it, it's where they bake like these horribly disgusting attempts to like try to make something super awesome and it's horrible. And at the end they're always like, nailed it! That's us here. Guys, be united, be one. Nailed it! Because we're not. And we as a church need to do better because through that unity that God is talking about, literally anything is possible. Because if we're united for the right reason, we are united in the will of God, and the will of God will come to pass no matter what. We see the flip side of this, and God actually had to stop us. See, if you go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, we read about humanity coming together. This is after the flood. They're all in one spot. They decide to build a tower that can reach the heavens. We're united in our sin to be like God. God says this in chapter 11, verse 6 of Genesis. It says, Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. And so through there, he confuses them, he sends them on their way. But the unity that makes anything possible, church, that's reserved for us. Because if we're united in the will of God, we will be able to take his message of love and salvation and reconciliation out into a world that so desperately needs to hear it and see it. Notice, see it. Because we have to live it out. If we look at the last few verses of our text today, verses 20 to 22 say this. We are being built into a house of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Our unity has a purpose, church. We have to go out and share that message of reconciliation. And the beauty of this closing sentence, the picture that Paul is painting is awesome. We are a group of believers and at the very center of our faith is Christ. Now, this is a little weird because I know today if you're looking at a building and the foundation is wrong, we're a little leery of the building, right? But back in the day, the cornerstone of the building was actually more important. It was the centerpiece that the entire building rested on. Get that picture with our faith, church. 
Jesus is at the very center. He is at the very center. And thank God, thank God that he is sure. Thank God that he is steady because he is what all of our faith rests in. And what's amazing, church, is as we go out and as we share this message, as we point people back to this love and reconciliation that we've received through him, if we do it the way that we're called to, we will unite around a solid and sure rock that is the man Christ Jesus. The very same Jesus that's the same today as he was yesterday. He'll be the same tomorrow as he is today. Let us rest in that, church. Let us unite in that. And let us grow the kingdom of God by our obedience and by our love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we come before you to thank you for your word and your truth, God. Your word and your truth that was lived out perfectly by your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we move forward as a church, if there is any kind of division or hostility or anger, Father, that you work in our hearts to not only root that out, Lord, but help us to model what it looks like to be a believer to a world that so desperately needs to see it. The purpose of our unity, Father, is to share your truth with the world, to show them what the love of Jesus can do to show them what true reconciliation looks like. Father, help us to be that church and show that love to a world who desperately needs to hear it and desperately needs to see it. God, we love you, we worship you, and praise you. And it's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.